Hi, I'm Teresa Woodard, and you're listening to Your Midwest Garden Podcast. Hello, everybody. This is Mike uh, from your Midwest Garden. Um, you know, Scott's got this thing going. He's had this bug up his underwear for the longest. Well, it's called housekeeping, plant housekeeping. And, I mean, we got to pacify him, so let's do it and be it congenial, okay? <laughs> All right. I like the housekeeping. You're, you're finicky, Scott. It, well, it ties in some of the previous episodes, and it updates people with what's going on. Like, only two things this time. First of all, update we'll banana tree show. I m- made an error in saying <gasps> that the uh, the, no. the musubajus don't produce bananas. Well, they do produce a banana finger that is not like banana you know from a grocery store. It's more of a seed pod, a seed fi- finger. Okay, okay wait a minute. It does wait have a, a little bit of the banana mush in it, but it's mostly seed. Did you know that the banana is basically a seed pod? Period. Without the seeds. Well, now those are hybrids. Some are. Right? Ha- some have seeds. Yes. Some and do. Some don't. So we all learn something new. Now on the housekeeping thing, you wanted to find out a little bit more on the tropical aspect of things, didn't you? Yeah, but we're, I'm not there yet. I got number two housekeeping. Oh no! <laughs> all right. You know what I realized? Uh, we jumped into season three like right out of season two. It seemed like, and you know, we haven't introduced who we are basically to our new listeners. But this is this is our third year and people just generally don't know who we are, what we are. So, I happen to be Mike O'Rourke. There you go. The infamous garden guy all throughout all of the Midwest and I'm a little full of myself. The guy that <laughs> I'm talking to his name is Scott Sandstrom. He's a producer extraordinaire. He's done this professionally for the last 30 years and he has a tendency to become maybe OCD. He strategically and methodically has saved every tag that he's of a plant that he's put in his backyard since 1999. No, that's not. Yeah, maybe 99. It was 99, Scott. Was it? Yeah. How do I know? I, I don't know. Anyway, so yeah, basically what it comes down to is Mike's the expert. I'm the weekend warrior. Um, I'm in my, what are we calling me? The third year rookie? Because you, yeah. you won't give up the rookie title for me. Well, I can't. I mean, well, you are a rookie and you will maintain that rookiness until you start to become bold enough to go and take chances on your own. And I think we're going to bring that to your attention through Teresa Woodard. Okay. Yeah. Well, the banana tree wasn't enough of a, an experiment. Because see, you wanted to know about your banana trees. I'll use that as an example. I mean, you've got a beautiful garden in the backyard but you want to make it more look i know you're a jimmy buffett fanatic all right yeah and you like the cheeseburger stuff in paradise you like the tropical aspect and you have a swimming pool so why not try to design something in the backyard in a tropical environment correct yeah and we've talked about my pool and landscape but this time we're talking about it with somebody that knows and who might that well, Mike, so that brings us to today's show. What do you have in store for us? I have a lady by the name of Teresa Woodard. She happens to be an extraordinary, um, I would call her an exterior designer for plants. Um, she is go- I came upon the article that she wrote in your, uh, what was it, the Midwest? Uh, Midwest Living. Midwest Living. Magazine. Um, magazine, yes. 
And she contributes quite often to that. And uh, she contributes also to um, the Chicago Tribune, uh, Better Homes and Gardens. That's the nice one. And Yeah. And she agreed to come onto the podcast to assist Scott with his design outdoors to give him that Midwest tropical paradise. So let's welcome the author of Turn Your Midwest Backyard into a Tropical Oasis, Teresa Woodard. Teresa, why grow tropicals in the Midwest? Well, you know, I think it does sound a little crazy. Um, they always preach right plant, right place, and all of that. And here in the Midwest, you sometimes wonder, is it the right place to grow plants that you see on your vacation in Florida or Hawaii? And um, But you really can. We can grow them here for a season. And why not um, bring some tropical flair to your backyard. It's a lot of fun. These plants grow super fast. So you wake up the next morning and they've grown, you know, a few more inches or a big leaf has unfurled or one of these tropical blooms has opened and they're really cool. So uh, it's a great way to bring a tropical vibe to your backyard. It's kind of like a mini vacation itself. You appreciate it. You love it. Um, well, especially during COVID when everybody was more or less kind of home in the summer. Well, that's it's, how it's a staycation. Well, where did you come up with that word? Did you invent that? No, I did not invent that. A staycation? Yeah. Wow. Well, anyway, but, you know, you ended up, uh, you're an author of a number of things. You've written about uh, how to turn your Midwest backyard into a tropical oasis. Midwest Living, April 16, 2021. The article is what I found that I found exceptionally interesting and I was bringing this to Scott's attention, and that basically brought him into going even further into his backyard, going, hmm, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And we asked, well, why not make an attempt to get a hold of this lady? Because she does know exactly what, it, what she's talking about. Ask the expert. Why not? Um, what are the most questions that you get from somebody out in your backyard that uh, maybe we don't know what to do about? Well, some of the people hate uh, to throw them away at the end of the season. So a lot of times they'll say, can you keep this um, and overwinter it? And many of them you can overwinter. So that's a bonus if you want to try and move some in your garage or your basement or even a sunny window for some of them. And so we can dive into that um, as we talk too. Um, but that's one of the biggest questions I get. You want to highlight some of the plants that you did include in your article so people have an idea? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Just to let you know, this whole story came about, um, my editor ran into a couple that um, they were talking with their friends and said they wanted to create this tropical oasis in their backyard. So they transformed it and created a tiki bar and they put it uh, put in a pool and so then the final touch was the layer of the plants. And that's where I stepped in and put that piece together that went along with it. So some of the plants that we highlighted are the Thai plant. Some people call it a Hawaiian Thai plant. And it's got these really hot pink um, leaves and they make the great thriller part of a container design. I don't know if you've ever heard the recipe of thriller, spiller, Filler, but these definitely are the thriller. Those have the spears coming up from the center, don't they? Yes, yes, they're, they're, they do. And so they make these great statement plants in a container. 
One is called Red Sister. Um, it's a really hot pink one. And then Black Mystique is a little more dark purple. And there's even one called Candy Cane that's pink with green and white stripes. So there's some fun different cultivars of the Thai plant. What about the crotons and the elephant ears? Um, obviously the banana tree. But, I mean, the elephant ears you put into the ground itself, right? You can do either one with elephant ears. And a lot of these plants, you can do either one. Um, so, yes, you can plant the elephant ears right in the ground. They just need some dappled shade. Um, and then they can also grow in a container. So if you plant them in the container, at the end of the season, you cut it back and move it into the garage and keep it there for the winter and then bring it out next spring when it's when temperatures are consistently above 40 degrees. Same with cannas. They can be grown in pots or they can be grown right in the ground, these canna lilies. Well, you wait a minute. Now, the, here, this leads to another question. You said as long as the temperature is 40 degrees, you can cut it down, leave it in the garage as long as it's 40 degrees, and then bring it back out, like the canna lilies also, and then pack them away in something that's going to uh, prevent the moisture from collecting. The elephant ears, yes. Yeah. You can cut those back and keep them in a pot, um, or you can bring them indoors to uh, uh, and grow them. Don't oh. cut them back and then bring them indoors and grow them by a sunny window. So you can either leave them dormant, that's what we call keeping it in the garage, okay. um, or you can put it by a sunny window. Um, so either one works. Canna lilies are a little different. Um, sometimes they will rot if you keep them in a pot. So I like to dig mine, wash them off, um, let them dry out, and then store them in I save those old um, styrofoam coolers that you, you get that from. Yep, and I fill it with uh, some shavings or sawdust from my husband's workshop, and then put the canna lilies bulbs or tubers in there. So I I love the crotons, and I never knew that yes. you could do them in this zone. Um, I yeah, mean, nothing says Hawaii or tropicals than these plants. I mean. As soon as I saw them, I, I was back at Disney's Polynesian Hotel, and I'm like, you know, <laughs> truly, I, I've been there a few too many times. Um, but these are awesome. I found them at work at our garden center, and they were talking more about shade than sun. And I, do you have any experience with um, them as far as having uh, heat issues? They love the heat and humidity. So if you think about where you see them on vacation, like um, you mentioned, you saw them at Disney or Epcot, and um, they were probably in full shade um, there. They take really, really hot summers. And so if you think about, um, I'm from Ohio, and so we in August, it gets super hot and humid, and so these guys do great in that weather and they thrive. So, you know, we may only have them for a short time, but when it's hot and humid here in the Midwest, it's a, there, you can grow these crotons and they, they perform well. So as far as shade goes, it will tolerate shade as well, but not deep shade. So usually okay. they say four to six hours minimum would be part shade and six or more is full sun. Some of these um, grower ID plaques always get me nervous because research I do online tells me one thing, and these 
tell me another and but there's not it's very generic there's not much definition so i was concerned about the crotons you know and what they really like because we had one guest talk one time where she, she was saying that the success of a plant you need to think like the plant in where it's located and what it likes water wise or soil wise and midwest is not disney's polynesian so can this take more sun than the the plaque is telling me? And uh, you're just confirming that it can. So those are awesome. I need to try these. Well, we've got, we've got, that's why we've got asking the expert. I experiment too. And I learn and it's okay to fail because, you know, if the plant starts looking sad, um, then give it a little more sun. Or if the plant's leaves start looking like they're burnt in the sun, then give them a little more, give them some afternoon shade. So, so you're promoting trial and error. Yeah, it's it's a great way to learn. Oh, is it? <laughs> and the yes. plant industry will thank you because we keep buying more plants, right? <laughs> yeah. And I always say to customers at the store that are always like, all right, now I got to go plant these. And I was like, hey, it's the joy of gardening. Let's not forget. Have a little fun out there. Absolutely. So Absolutely. The, and I wanted to so know, I, I know uh, our last episode was about my banana tree experiment where I moved a couple of Miss Mollies that weren't doing well. I thought it was enough sun there. And I moved them into a sunny area. So there's my trial and error for those you. Those are butterfly bushes yep. for those who don't know. And then I put the banana trees, which... Say they like more shade, and I put them in, replaced them in those corners. So that's my experiment for this pool season. And the, but this pineapple lily, this thing looks really cool too. It is pretty funky, isn't it? The blooms on that. And I don't know if you've ever seen a pineapple plant, um, but it does have those cool strappy leaves like this um, pineapple lily. Um, And it is a bulb. The blooms are what are so cool. They're different colors, but um, the one I'm growing right now are white, and they send up these full stalks of blooms. They're spiky blooms, and they're just beautiful. I'm growing them in a pot um, this year, so I'm experimenting with those. I'm excited about it. Are these plants much like cannas where we have to retrieve them, or are they? Uh, can you leave them in? Are they, they are. enough? They're from South Africa, so again, um, they're used to the warmer weather, and they have to be um, dug um, and stored like you would. The you cannas. have to dig them and store them like you would the cannas, yeah. But I think they're worth it. They're pretty cool, pretty cool blooms. Some things are worth fussing over, and some aren't. And these are ones that I think I'm worth. I'm gonna fuss over. Browalia and Bougainvillea. Um, those aren't tropical, but they certainly do bloom uniquely. Is that something that you can add to that that would enhance or at least complement that tropical aspect? Yes. They just aren't as readily available here in the Midwest, those plants are. That's, so it might be tougher for people to find them. But, boy, they sure are beautiful when you go visit Florida and places like that, aren't they? Yeah, they're huge. I mean, and they're beautiful. Mm-hmm. They just give off this beautiful. Most of the time it's a lavender or a deeper purple color, sometimes red. This is something that really raises a curiosity of mine. With these tropicals, you made mention that you don't have to uh, worry about cross-pollination on anything because why? I think our conversation was about do we plant these for pollinators? Um, And since these are 
plants that are grown outside of our um, area, they're, they attract different pollinators. They attract, you know, Florida pollinators, or they attract Mexican pollinators, or they attract um, Hawaiian pollinators, not necessarily pollinators that are found here in Ohio, but some still do offer nectar for um, pollinators. So um, I don't grow them necessarily for pollinators. Um, I grow them more for their beauty. And then for pollinators, I focus and have a whole other garden just for, you know, other areas where I podcast I want to hit on. Oh, yeah. So if you do this year after year and you're planting these out of uh, out of state, out of country plants, your pollinators may learn by accident, like, hey, this is pretty good over here and tell his friends. I, you know, but I think that would have to be a consistent year after year type of thing for them to learn. Well, she said nectar. And you know the the um, mandevilla that we've got, we've got you your your wife's store has. Yeah, I mean some of them are dwarfs, some of them just kick butt, and they go and climb fences and trellises and everything. But you draw the hummingbirds and butterflies to that. Now that you yeah, have and as just a watch. Tra- say that again. Just watch. I think observation's really powerful. So if the hummingbirds are showing up at your mandevilla, or if they're showing up for your canna blooms, um, you know kind of mm-hmm. take it in and say, hey, do they like these or not? And so I think there's a lot of power in observation and just see what butterflies show up, see which which plants they're attracted to. For me, I found that a lot of butterflies like more flatter open surfaces where they can land. Really? And hummingbirds, you know, they like more of a trumpet bloom where they can stick their beak into. So um, different flower anatomy, is designed to attract different pollinators. What so, is a bromeliad? I'm a geek, right? <laughs> a bromeliad? Yeah, you got it. Thank oh, you. bromeliad. Yes. They're these cool plants that you've probably uh, seen. They have these really colorful bracts um, that are either yellow or green. They have a lot at um, botanical gardens. You'll see them on display. And uh, they're really super colorful. They, the color lasts a long time. So if you buy bromeliad at a plant store, it's going to put on this color for, for a longer time than you would like a flower, say. And so it's a fun, showy plant to have. The only problem is um, they do only last about a year. And so then once these bracts are finished, um, they the mother plant dies and they have these pups or offsets that grow from the sides of the plant. And then these will turn into full-size bromeliads down the road. So it's another cool um, feature of another cool plant. They, they, most of the garden centers up here, now I can't speak for the entire Midwest, but they do try to sell something for ponds. And one of them that's unique, that seems to be a tropical plant, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's a papyrus. And there's one called the King Tut that will grow. Oh, yeah, that's cool. Now, can that be used in the garden, the tropical uh, essence that we're trying to format now in the backyard? Yes, and several of these will work in, like, uh, shallow water. Um, So you mentioned the papyrus. That's a great one. You just put it in, say, if you have a 
I have just a shallow pond and I stack a few bricks and put the papyrus on top of it. So it's only in about four or six inches of water, mm -hmm. but you put the whole pot in the water. Um, you can do the same thing with canna lilies. You can put those in the edges of your ponds and you can also do those with elephant ears. All three of those um, will take uh, some water. I see you learned something new. I had no idea of any of those three that would tolerate that much water. Um, well, and I even um, did a story on the Des Moines Botanical Garden, and they have these floating islands that they put in this monster water feature, and they put the uh, pot canna lilies on these floating islands. They fill them with canna lilies and float them in the really? middle of their ponds. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, they're really, I thought it was a clever idea and so pretty. So since you wrote this article, I mean, it's only been really a little over a year. Have you found other plants that you were like, oh man, I should have added that <laughs> to the, my original design? <laughs> um, yes, a few. I haven't, and you know, I get in trouble because I learn and then I want to try some of these that I haven't tried myself. So that's kind of how it came out about with the pineapple lilies this year. But I also heard about uh, that here in the Midwest, we can grow bird of paradise. And um, mm -hmm. that's that cool flower that has the orange um, flower. It almost looks like a bird beak and it has like a plume looking on it. But you can grow that here in the Midwest too. So I'd love to try that. Um, hardy hibiscus. It is the year of the hardy hibiscus. Um, the National Garden Bureau promotes different plants each year. And um, I think they're pretty phenomenal plants. So I'm eager to try one of those too. It's a perennial, believe it or not. And it doesn't start showing up until midsummer. And then once it does, it grows about five feet. It has really cool foliage. And then it has these monster dinner plate size blooms. Um, they're, the, they're kind of pinwheel-like. They have a colorful center and then these big petals and leaves and they're so showy, but then they die back down to the ground at the, at the first frost, you know, late October, and then it's a perennial. So it comes back again next summer. So it really is a great um, plant that's hardy and survives here in the Midwest, but it also brings that tropical flair to your garden. And that's how I got my start realizing that there are more hardier type of plants that are tropical looking. I mean, it doesn't have to be yeah. tropical. It just has to be tropical looking. You got your feet wet with those. Yes. And I am going to send Teresa a couple pictures of mine where I'm holding up a dollar bill and the the petal diameter is larger than the dollar bill. And that's only one petal. Or bloom. That's a lot of pow for one plant. Well, Scott was crying the very first year he put them in. <laughs> they looked beautiful. And he, he he's going, oh, my goodness. This is, and it was the first plant that he successfully grew. I mean, remember, he's a technocrat here that works with technology left and right. But, you know, he took this. Can I grow these in my? Sure. Well, they die back. Rookie didn't tell me they die. Well, it's going to be winter soon. Okay, are they going to come back? My name is Mike, not God, Mother Nature, or whatever. So we would, he would be over there come March to look to see if they were coming back. I am so glad you said that they don't bloom until it's a little bit later in the season. 
it takes a while for them to come back. And he's out there with a, an hour, not an hourglass, a magnifying glass trying to see for new leaf that's coming through. No, you know what I do? I, uh, people not, worry about them. Yes. They do I mean, take you, some patience. Yeah. You invest the time and the money and the, the love, I'll say. Oh, I'll I'm say that on there. It. Yeah. <laughs> that you, you know, you want that to come back. And what I, another one I didn't even, we didn't even talk about yet is coleus. Oh. And we treat that as an annual, right? And we grow it mainly for the beautiful um, foliage. And some people call it, you know, the Hawaiian shirt of the plant world because it has all these loud colored leaves and pink mm -hmm. and purple and pink and green. And some are polka dotted and some are big um, swaths and they're they're cool plants, too. Well, if you pump them with the liquid fertilizer, I don't want to give any names yet, but um, one of these that you can mix with water-soluble, and you give it like one tablespoon per gallon of water, and you do it in the early evening to these plants once a week for yes. three weeks, they kick derriere. I mean, they get huge. They look like pillows of beauty. They're just absolutely gorgeous. That's it. Yes, that's an excellent point. These all are what they call heavy feeders. They want really need a lot of fertilizer. And just like you said, once a week, um, if you fertilize them, you're going to see um, really great growth and results. Oh, then they're just absolutely gorgeous. You're right. I'm surprised we didn't bring that up, Scott. Shame on you. Yeah, I know. That's really bad on my part. It is. That's why I'm a third-year rookie gardener. Going back to for one year. You'll get your varsity yep. letter soon. Uh, we have the, the miracle Grow liquid um, fertilizer that we use all around our, all our annual flowers that are also around the pool. So we fertilize the hibiscus with that. And I also found um, mere acid is excellent for the hibiscus. I, I was just teaching myself all these fertilizers one day and I'm reading the box and it's like excellent for hibiscus. Well, she's been telling you to experiment this whole conversation and it's justifying everything that you've been doing and you've been questioning yourself on. I think from what she's telling us and our listeners is basically don't be afraid to, to play with this. Um, yeah, I'm hoping that's, that's true. That's part Teresa. of the fun. Oh that's yeah. And especially when you have success, you know, if uh, that hardy hibiscus really takes off and, and puts on a great flower show, then you're going to feel pretty good about that choice. Um, and then, too, we have failures, but it's okay. It's another opportunity to buy another new plant, right? Yeah, there you go. Well, and I started out with two hibiscus, and I'm not telling you what number I'm up to now, but it's it's still in the single digits. <laughs> well, I, I've got to buy one. I just have been admiring them, so you've got me. Uh, what? It's at the top of my list now. Yeah, there you go. You, you, you won't go wrong. It's, they're awesome. Uh, so the what other color, Which one did you like best? Uh, I'm just curious of the hardy hibiscus. What's your favorite? The, the cranberry crush is a beautiful, deep, like crimson color. I have two pink ones and from, the, uh, from different growers. One is still summerific. It's just called Candy Crush. That's the one I was looking oh, for. Oh, yes. And there's another one yeah. called Airbrush Effect, Rose Mellow. Ooh. It, that's from Plants That Work. But Airbrush Effect is really cool. They're, the Candy Crush and the Airbrush are very similar, but there's just a little more... Variegation. Yeah. It's, it's Color-wise, it's really cool. So I... And the other thing, some of them have these, you know, bright green 
leaves, but then other ones have these purple or burgundy leaves. So yes. then when you put that hot pink flower with a burgundy leaf, or you put more the coral with the green leaf, it's the combos that are so cool too. In your designs, have you laid out any of them knowing that people are going to have annuals also within the, the design of their pool or their tropical oasis? Yes, annuals are great to add to your pool design. Um, you know, get some that are big and bold and colorful. Um, cosmos are great. They're super easy to grow. Uh, you know, we all like petunias in pots because they you know, put on uh, color all summer long. Um, there's zinnias. You could even put some sunflowers um, in the mix. So oh, I think, you know, big and bold flowers are kind of the, what is what you're going after if you want to bring that uh, tropical vacation vibe to the pool. And I, and I know my wife, Jane, she handles the annuals in some of the pots out there. And I, vincas work really well in the heat. That's oh, what, yes. Yeah. So vincas are great in the heat. That's what we use a lot. And again, that's another one that you got to pump with like the um, water-soluble mm -hmm. nutrients so that they can get bigger. Yeah. They can continue to, to be prolific as far as the flower. And they're a hot, waxy green leaf to it. Um, yeah, and that's where you can add the, you know, the, some for plants, some for the pollinators too. Like lantana is great for the pollinators, Bingo. but it's also a, a lot of color. Or salvias, you you know, they love that black and blue or black and bold um, salvias. And so the hummingbirds will show up for the salvias and they're another great plant to mix in. So here's another tip on those hardy hibiscus. Yeah. Since they are since they're late to come out, um, they're great to put together with your daffodils because the daffodils <gasps> will fill that space. Until then they're going to melt, you know, in June or late May. Yep. And then that's in time for the hardy hibiscus to come up. So that's a good combo to put together. I've got daylilies surrounding those and they are pretty much a June bloomer. And then by end of June, first July, of July, July tenth is when all my photos start showing up. That with the buds. Start what do we say about calendar hibiscus. dates? I mean, no, no, that's just for me. That's okay. That's, that's what you do. Yes, that's I'm sorry, Teresa. We 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 have this argument. No, that's about, a good combo too. The the day lilies and the um, hardy hibiscus. That's a good combo. Talked about my pool and kind of my layout before on this show, so I don't want to repeat that. But um, so Geek Scott, I have, they call me Spreadsheet Scott at work <laughs> because I do a lot of stuff on spreadsheets for whatever reason. And I have a spreadsheet of every year in my backyard of different things I've tried and changed. So I sent this to Teresa. So I, Teresa, can you give me a report on what my backyard looks like compared to something a professional like you would design for me? Oh, I think it. No, you're doing great. And um, I love that you put the banana tree in the corner there because I think it really sort of frames the space and it gives it plenty of room to grow because these banana trees get monstrous and they spread too. They grow tall and then uh, more shoots come out each year. So you're going to have this banana tree for a while. And as you know, they're super fun and the leaves get so big. Um, it's, uh, it's really a fun plant. 
So I think that's smart. You have that there. And you talk about them being fast. I already have a, a pseudo stem coming up from one of them. So I'm excited oh. about that. See, okay, I'm a, I'm I'm gonna vomit. Um, oh, wait, 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 wait! I want to hear what else she. What other? Uh, he's now the expert. He's to... a monster. I'm looking. Oh, for... Oh no, no, no! So I think it's smart. You have the boxwood um, as you come at the entry, and boxwoods are a little more formal, so it kind of frames that entry there and gives it a little more formal touch. Then once you step into onto the pool deck, you look to the left and you have this monster banana tree and these beautiful oak leaf hydrangeas at one end of the pool, which I thought that's great. And then beside the banana tree, you put that hearty hibiscus, the cranberry crush. It's going to be, it's that part of that summerific series. Yes. And it's a gorgeous, like deep pink color, right? Um, mm -hmm. So that's beautiful and then you've got this great mix of um, ornamental grasses uh, that looks like that gives you a little privacy in the side yard so yep. I think you've got a great design going here nice nice all right oh gosh uh, two thumbs up to Scott the other thing that you want to keep in mind as a pool owner and if you're designing this at home is leaf size because I I also have uh, some Chardonnay that are bloom uh, may that are little white flowers and those type of things get in your pool skimmer very easily and oh. it's easier to clean out your pool with a larger leaf tropical design than it is a smaller it's no the chardonnays are not tropical but they're kind you're of sounding like you're they're kind Cal of grandfathered into the design so yeah you're kind of like grandfathered but it sounds like you're Southern California. I mean, you're, you're talking. It's okay to mix things up though. But if you're trying to achieve the tropical look, the big leaves do, you know, help you get there. And you can even use hostas. Um, they're, you know, a Midwest plant, but there's plenty of cool hostas that you can use. And some even have tropical names. So, um, now, can you name some of them? Yeah. What, what are some of those? There's one called, let's see, I think Blue Hawaii. Um, so that's tropical. There's one called Guacamole. Um, oh, I haven't heard of that. Uh, Some and Substance is a monster one. They do have um, some large leaf hostas that'll make you feel like you're in the tropics. Yeah, something that's not, and you don't have to cut those out either or, or just let them, you know, die back. Let them go dormant. They'll yes. come back the following season. Yep. Absolutely. I know part of the success and part of my problem is, is I don't have a lot of space, at least at home, um, to keep things over winter. And we need to discuss about uh, winterizing some of these plants, like uh, my banana trees, which I haven't done yet. So that will be an experiment. Um, you know, some of the coral bells have decent size leaves and they're colorful. So that can uh, go along with some of these tropical looking plants um, if you're looking for a perennial. Um, some of them come in, you know, lime green colors and uh, even pink and burgundy. So they would look nice, you know, alongside a Thai plant or um, interplanted with canna lilies. Would Bernaria work? Um, 
Yes, um, but that usually likes a little more shade. Um, oh, that's right. So, yeah. yeah, but they are nice. They're, some of them are really nice big leaves. But, you but even, that's the thing with the hostas. They need a little more shade, too. So, you yeah. know, if you're putting it around your pool, plant yeah, some gonna, of the tropical yeah. things in the sun, and then in the shady corner underneath um, that dogwood, you plant some of the um, hostas and you plant the Bernera and that kind of thing. And you even mentioned to me uh, one time about houseplants, um, just bringing them outside and choosing more of a, a big leaf style plants and to give that tropical feel. But um, my brother-in-law who works at the other uh, shop of ours, he actually um, kind of takes care of some of our plants that we have outside during the winter. He over, we overwinter them in the greenhouse and he, well, that's a nice perk. Yes. But that's a great perk for me, but everybody else in the Midwest, they sell those small greenhouses, like those little six to eight footers. And it doesn't have to be huge, just enough to take care of some of the plants that you can't bring inside. So I encourage everybody to look for some of those and kind of have a greenhouse out back. But I, I got an agave plant that I bring back to the pool every year. It, so that mm -hmm. is no different than you bringing one from inside your place. And um, oh, what else is uh, Mike? I have 50 house plants. So 50? I bring most all. Yes. <laughs> so I bring most all of them outside come summer. They love the summer vacation. They love to be outside. They love the fresh rainwater, the sunshine. Uh, it's just it's a good thing to get them outside. Do you notice that that your your house plants that you take outside during this growing season, and I'm sure you put them in the appropriate area, some like more, you called it dappled sunlight or shade or full direct sun, but do you notice that they're that they're maybe susceptible or not susceptible to any kind of a disease that's floating around or any kind of bugs? I don't expect you to know the bugs, but. Do you see any bugs doing any damage or insects to them? Well, I had one um, Hoya plant that I had was fighting some mealybugs on. Right. And it's that little white, like cottony, fuzzy stuff that you see on the stems. Yep. So I um, moved it outside and it's all gone. So you have more predators outside that will help you manage in gotcha. the, oh, okay. insects. Yeah. I'm not a a pro when it comes to uh, pest control, but well, that's um, admirable. I, I mean, have some friends that I lean on and they said it's good to move your house plants outside. That, 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 trust me, that, that is a wonderful statement because a lot of people are, they treat those house plants like they're their own children and they don't want to move <laughs> them from the house, but you're doing it. You get, do you take all 50 of them outside? Most all of them, yes, and they get extra growth. They put out more growth, and some of them will bloom because they like the extreme temperatures. Like, it'll dip colder at night and then warmer during the day, and you can't, you know, simulate that indoors. No. So, um, so you get another, that's another thing. Some plants will bloom when you move them outside. You talked about, or we started talking about overwintering some of these suggestions you have. Do you have any uh, tips or hints for our listeners to make life a little bit easier? Yes, I would say um, leave them outside and 
until late into the fall. So don't start fussing, you know, about it in September. Um, but do kind of have a game plan when you want to do it. Like, you know, don't, if you're going on vacation in October, um, maybe move them indoors before, before you go on vacation. Just think through it that way because it does take a little bit of an effort. Um, and then uh, you need to cut them back uh, and move them in the garage. So the ones that you would cut back and move in the garage would be like the elephant ears or if you grow a banana um, plant in a pot. Um, those are two that you would cut back um, and move into a garage. Um, the cannas, I dig those and I um, either shake the dirt off or rinse it off, let them dry, and then I move them um, in once they're dry, I put them in a cooler with some sawdust. So um, that's how I handle the cannas. Um, other ones, you kind of have to let them go uh, and say, hey, it's been a great season, but you're going to just toss them on the compost pile and treat them like you would an annual, like a petunia, and, and uh, plan to buy some more next year. And you also made it a point to... Talk about uh, annuals, how some of these annuals or most of these annuals can complement your tropical garden in your backyard. And a, and a very, very interesting person that knows her stuff, I'm going to quote her, it's okay to grow tropicals for a season in the Midwest and toss on the compost pile. She says it's okay to grow them and throw it on the compost pile. Many tropicals are now relatively affordable and can be easily sourced next year just like annuals for our pots and landscape beds. Please uh, pay attention to that, that they are easy, they're inexpensive, they're affordable. You can throw them in the compost pile and regenerate that, that the nutrients that these plants have given off, especially the accent of the colors and the pleasure that you get throughout the season. Plus, they bring so much joy to our Midwest gardens. Yes, and I had a chance to go to Florida to the Tropical Plant Industry Expo in January in Tampa. And um, I got to see a preview of some of the tropical plants that are coming out and wow. meet with some of the growers. But they have greenhouses and uh, acres of uh, plants being planted in Florida. So it just shows you the demand is there. And because... Um, there are so many more plants being grown, the prices are becoming more affordable. I think, you know, 10, 20, 10 years ago, we didn't have this selection of tropical plants here in the Midwest. And so the selection is so much better and so many more options and they're breeding all of these great um, cultivars and varieties. And so the possibilities are endless right now and it's, cool to experiment with tropicals. So you can see I'm a fan. Well, now a poinsettia is a tropical, correct? Yes. Okay. They're Here's from Mexico. I, I have taken your advice prior to you even telling me. And somebody gave me, you know, an, an expensive $6 poinsettia when we had a house party for, for the holidays. And so, oh, joy in rapture. Yes. What am I going to do with this? It has the red and white leaves and that sort of, but that's the leaves, not the flower. Um, I decided to keep it in a container, in a, in a clay pot, put it by a window. And it in the wintertime, it was kind of iffy. It looked like it wasn't dying, but it was really struggling. 
But then the first season, I took it back out to the patio in the full in the sunlight, the dappled sunlight to the full sunlight. It came out and it started growing. I had that sucker up to four feet. I had used a dolly to get that sucker back in the house. <laughs> um, and the colors were so unique. It wasn't the red. It wasn't the white. This was more of a coral color. This was more of an orange or a pumpkin that they had on it. So it all depends on the sunlight and experimenting and the pleasure that you're going to get out of this, Teresa. Thank you. I mean, well, you're, you're, great. you're just good for you. You're confirming everything that I just basically, ha ha, Scott. All right. I'm not holding that over his head. So before we move on to some of your new work, which we want to discuss real quickly here, any final thoughts on turning your backyard into a tropical oasis? Getting started, I think it is helpful to focus on just two or three different kinds of plants and learn how to grow them. Sometimes you can get overwhelmed if you try eight or 10 different kinds and it's better to start with a fewer amount and get it right and have some success. Um, so that would be my only caution, I guess. No, Maybe, that, that's you know, great advice. go with, yeah, go with three cannas and three um, uh, elephant ears and three coleus or something like that um, so that you can uh, figure those out. And then next year, try three new ones and just keep adding to the mix but i want you to be successful with it yeah because my my backyard spreadsheet has a lot of tabs from all the years this has been a buildup of so you're right and the more success you have early on the more you want to keep going yeah i th i know i think some people are fearful about gardening and making mistakes and um i i that's part of the fun of it and i embrace that part of it i I like trying new things. Are you finding um, it somewhat therapeutic and you're helping to promote that for people too? Oh yeah. I think people, it gives you a chance to be creative. It gives you a chance to connect with nature. It gives you a chance to unplug from the digital world. I think it gives you some satisfaction and, you know, doing something yourself and finding success in it. I think all of that is well, no, really It's kind of like Scott, you know, he's getting more and more, I don't want to use the word arrogant yet. But he's almost dangerous with all of these new things, and he saved the tags. <laughs> we heard there's a new book coming out. Would you like to uh, give us a little preview? Because I know it's, uh, I did a little homework and know it's a pre-order status right now. Yes. Um, yes, you can pre-order the book now, um, but it comes out in October of this fall, and so we're super excited about it. I paired up with designers Nick and Allison McCullough, um, and we visited 20 different gardens last summer and photographed and wrote uh, the backstories of these gardens. And they are designers' home gardens. So we went to Austin, Texas. We went to Rhode Island. We went to California. We went to Florida. And here in the Midwest, we went to Wisconsin, Ohio, Nebraska, um, so it, we're super excited about the book and these gardens are packed with a lot of, um, lessons from the designers and a lot of great plant ideas. So, um, the name of the book is called American Roots and, um, it's a lessons from 20 designers home gardens. So, um, we're excited to share their stories and we made some great friends along the way and, um, they 
all uh, were gracious to open their gardens to us. And um, so we're excited to share those um, when the book comes out this fall. Is this designed so that you can incorporate, like we were trying to with the tropicals, certain things from certain, like you had stated, uh, um, different cultures that you can incorporate, but you have to give it that extra little bit of a TLC so that it does survive and continue? Because it's not like the annuals yes. that we have out here. Um, so this, the book, it gives, uh, we have a lesson with each garden. So one garden might be how to do gravel gardening, which is a new technique that this guy is doing up in Wisconsin. And it's super cool and it keeps um, weeds away, but it provides a great place to grow prairie plants. And he ripped out his whole front yard and planted a gravel garden. <laughs> Another person um, planted a prairie in Nebraska in his front yard, and all of his suburban neighbors all have grass, but he's, you know, this beacon in the middle of all of this yard, <laughs> yarded suburban area. He has this prairie, and he has, I think, dozens and dozens of butterflies and insects that show up there. So um, each one has a lesson with it, and we love that about it. And the magazine that we originally found your work at, a Midwest um, Living. I'm, yeah, Midwest Living. It's a great magazine, um, and it's writes about we write about travel, garden, cooking, home, um, and different uh, creative people in the Midwest and share their stories. And it truly is a wonderful magazine, and I'm um, grateful to be a part of the team there at Midwest Living. Yeah, well, I, I was looking at all the different articles that Mike was it sharing went, with me, and it was crazy. We were scrolling down, and it's just, my goodness. It's a print magazine, which reaches um, 800,000 subscribers, but then we also have the online version, um, and that, you know, is available to anyone. So um, I love that we have both um, media outlets. Well, most of these, anything that comes in a hard copy is usually a verification of authenticity versus what you can find on the internet. Um, if the internet, after the fact, you've got the hard copy comes out, then you've got yourself something really, really workable. Uh, Teresa, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you. So just a reminder. Thank you. Teresa's book, American Roots, comes out this fall in October. And you can uh, pre-order it on a lot of your favorite book purchasing sites. It's subtitled Lessons and Inspiration from the Designers Reimagining Our Home Gardens. Thank you, Teresa. Thank you so much. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Mike. It was great to be with you. And I love what you're doing here. And it's great to elevate Midwest gardens. So thank you. Thanks for listening to your Midwest Garden. If you like today's conversation, please share this podcast with friends and family. And don't forget to click on the subscribe button so you won't miss any future episodes. Plus, if you have any show topics you'd like us to discuss, head on over to our sponsor's Facebook page, which is Black Diamond Garden Center, and message them your topic idea. For all of us at your Midwest Garden Podcast, I'm Michael Rourke, the Garden Guy. Hope you enjoyed today's conversation.